Well, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Luke 9. We're continuing our study of what we're calling hard passages. Now, we've been looking at a whole bunch of places over the weeks, over the, these weeks. In fact, this is lesson 15, so we've seen a number of lessons already. Uh, we say they're either hard because it's just hard to figure out what they're saying, or it's hard because it either seems contrary to something else, or it doesn't seem to match, or maybe it's something that looks like you can lose your salvation or works for salvation, all those kind of things. Well, we're seeing a lot of them. We're looking at these places. This morning, we're going to look at two more. And we'll look at them pretty quickly. Two more places. Uh, one is Luke nine twenty seven, where it's dealing with the kingdom, and we're going to talk about the kingdom. And then Hebrews two nine, where it says Jesus being lower than the angels. And so, what does all that mean? What, what you know? What does that mean? And people come up and say, "What does it mean that Jesus is lower than angels? Isn't Jesus God?" And so we'll talk about how that is. You know, understanding the end times really takes, I think it takes hard work because you have to put it together. I mean, think about this. To really put together end times, you need to know Isaiah and Ezekiel and Zechariah and Matthew 24 and 25 and First and Second Thessalonians and the book of Revelation and the book of Daniel and the book of Ezekiel. Those, if you just put those together, you got the end time events. Uh, but it's hard, and so it takes time. And so when we're studying a revelation on, ch- on Sunday morning, we're actually, sometimes we have to go back to Daniel. Sometimes we have to go to some other places. When you think about the end times, there's the rapture and the tribulation and the antichrist and the second coming and the kingdom and the great white throne judgment and the eternal state. And that's the flow we've seen. I've got, I got that for you. We've got that for you on the bottom of the page. But just, just remember, Jesus died and rose again with the church age. Here comes the rapture, seven-year tribulation. Jesus comes as the king. Then there's a kingdom. And that's one of the reasons we're showing this because the mention of the kingdom is in this passage, and then there's the great white throne judgment and eternity. So all that ties together. One of the key events in all of history is the future reign of Jesus Christ, and he's going to come as the king of kings. It's the millennial kingdom. Now, let me just tell you this. Almost every denomination does not hold to that view. Almost every denomination is called what they call an amillennial view, which means that when the nation of Israel rejected Christ, they believe the church has replaced Israel and the promise to David, the promise of a kingdom, the promise of a tribulation, and all of that is never going to happen. And so as we would say that there's going to be uh, the rapture, the tribulation, the second coming, the kingdom, they would say no. After Jesus died and rose again, everything just goes the next event is the coming of Christ. There is no rapture. There is no tribulation. There is no, uh, none of these things. There's none of this. No thousand-year reign of Christ because they don't hold to that. They believe that church has replaced Israel, so all the promises to Israel are passed. Now, the problem with that is that if the promises God made to Israel don't come true, <clears throat> what does that tell you about God? He didn't tell the truth. Let me tell you, every promise God's ever made is going to come true. So that's why we hold to it this way. So we're going to look at this whole idea. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 12 through 17, David was told that his greater son would sit on the throne as the king of Israel forever. And he was told that he would sit on the throne of Israel. Now, where is the capital of Israel? Jerusalem. So he's going to sit on the throne, just like David sat on the throne in Jerusalem as the king. One day, David's greater son is who? Who is David's greater son? Jesus Christ, the Messiah. That's who he is. He's called the son of David. He's going to come. And if you remember when the angel came to Luke, I mean, the angel in the gospel of Luke came to Mary and said, you're going to have a child. He will take the throne of his father, David, and of his kingdom, there will be no end. An eternal kingdom with Jesus Christ sitting on the throne. 
Well, that, that's all wonderful. And, and we know that, where are we? Oh, let me go back. Let me go back here. Where are we right now? We are somewhere in here, right? In fact, we think we're about right there, you know, because we're supposed to come out of here. And there, where's the kingdom? Now, when Jesus was talking with the guys, it's right there. So what does he say in Luke chapter 9? And we'll see how all this fits together. Luke chapter 9, verse 27. By the way, this event took place about 2,000 years ago. So let's, let's look at it. Jesus is with his men, and he makes a statement. Look, uh, he's talking about anybody who wants to, uh, if you want to come after me, deny yourself, take up the cross. If you save your life, you lose it. If you lose your life, you save it. And he, he just goes all this. And then he says something in verse 27. Now think about this. These are the guys... Jesus hasn't gone to the cross. He hasn't died on the cross yet. And he says this, but I say to you, verse 27, truthfully, there are some of those standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. What? But I say to you, truthfully, there's some standing, there's some guys he's talking to right there, those standing right here who will not die until they see the kingdom of God. Well, They'll not taste death till they die until they see the kingdom. Well, let me say that. How can this be? They have already died, and the kingdom has not yet come. Is that right? I mean, uh, let's just say it's Peter, James, and John. Are they alive? They're dead. Has the kingdom come yet? No. So when Jesus says, some of you standing here will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God, we could say, how does that work? How does it work? Well, and this is, this is the kingdom, and this is when Jesus is talking to the guys. So, and they died. In fact, most of them died very early, you know, but within, well, within the first hundred years of the church, uh, you know, they all died. So these men died at the beginning of the church, been 2,000 years. So how is it that they saw the kingdom? Look at the next verse. Some eight days after these sayings, he took Peter and John and James, and they went on on the mountain to pray. Now, he took Peter, James, and John, and they went to a mountain. These are the inner circle guys. They went to a mountain to pray. You know what the inner circle guys are? They were, you know, when you think about it, Jesus had, Jesus had a whole bunch of people following him, and then he had the 12 guys, and then of the 12 guys, he had three guys that were really close. And of the three guys, there was one that was the closest. So of the three guys, they were Peter, James, and John. The closest one was John. John actually called himself the disciple who Jesus loved. <laughs> Pretty cocky, I thought, but he, he did great. He, Jesus loves me. Yeah, well, we could all say it, but he was the closest one. So Jesus, sometimes he took these three, and when the little 12-year-old girl was dead, and they, he got to the house, and people were weeping, and, and he said, everybody get out. He took Peter, James, and John with him in there. And then in the garden... And right before Jesus is being arrested, he's off by himself, and he gets ready to go off by himself. He says, Peter, James, and John, come over with me. Stay right here. I'll go over there. You pray. Well, now we're going to see the three. Again, Peter, James, and John, Jesus takes them on top of. Notice what it says. Some eight days after these things, verse 28, he took Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. What mountain? Well, there's Mount Zion which is the same as Mount Moriah. There's the Mount of Olives, and then there's uh, mountains all over the northern part of Israel. And, and uh, so what mountain did he... He doesn't tell us where he takes them. Doesn't tell us anything. He took them on a mountain to pray. And look what happened. 
in verse 28, he says he took them on top of the mountain to pray. And then we, we call this the Mount of Transfiguration because look at the next verse. And while he was praying, the appearance of his face became different and his clothing became white and gleaming. Now you imagine, you're Peter, James, and John, and you're with Jesus, and he says, we're on top of this mountain, we're going to pray. Now he had told them earlier, eight days earlier, that some of them would not die until they saw the kingdom. And so some of them are saying, it's going to be really close, right? It has to be. Well, look what happens. While he was praying, his appearance of his face became different. His clothing became white and gleaming. Suddenly, uh, he becomes white and gleaming. We call this the Mount of Transfiguration. His appearance has changed. We're seeing, they're seeing Jesus in his glory. In his glory as the what? As the what? Come on, say it. As the king. They're seeing him as the king. They're seeing the kingdom right here. They're seeing Jesus as the king. And look who's with him. And behold, two men were talking with him. And who are they? Moses and Elijah. Now, uh, later Peter says, uh, Lord, can we, uh, can we fix this up for Moses and Elijah? How do you know they were Moses and Elijah? Maybe name tags? You know? Who, now, how did they know? How did Peter immediately know that was Moses and Elijah talking to Jesus? Because they're, they're talking about something. Peter's not over there. In fact, the three, they're kind of scared because this big, this big cloud's going to come over them in just a little bit. But they're seeing Jesus gleaming, and they're seeing Moses and Elijah. So let's talk about it. What do they mean? It's Moses and Elijah. And these two men were talking with him. They were Moses and Elijah, who appearing in glory... There they are. We're speaking of Jesus, of his departure, which is about to accomplish at Jerusalem. So let's talk about these two people for a second. They're seeing Jesus as the king. He's showing them what he'll be like in the kingdom as the king of kings and the Lord of lords. They've not got died, and they are seeing the kingdom. This is what his promise was. And now look at this. Who's with him? Moses and Elijah. When you think about Moses and Elijah, Moses and Elijah basically represented the Old Testament word of God because the, the Old Testament sometimes was divided into three parts, sometimes divided into two parts. There was the, nor, the, the Torah, the Nebim, and the Ketubim. That's three parts. But then there was also just called law and prophets. And Moses wrote the law, and Elijah was the prophet. And so you're seeing symbolic of the, of the, the Old Testament law and the Old Testament word of God. And then there's something else here. Moses died. Did Elijah die? He was translated. He was raptured off the face of the earth, was he not? These two people are symbolic of the two groups who will be in the kingdom, those who die physically and those who are raptured off the face of the earth. We all hope and pray that we're going to be the ones raptured off, right? We don't want to die physically. We, we want Jesus to come get us and we be taken off. That'd be like Elijah. But if you died, to be absent from the bodies, be present with the Lord, and you're like a Moses because Moses died. And so these two people talking to Jesus are symbolic of the Old Testament law and prophets, but they're also symbolic of all those who are translated and all those who die to go into the kingdom. So they're all there and they're talking. And look what it says. And behold, two men were talking with him and they were Moses and Elijah. That's verse 30. And then look at verse 31 because if you were there, would you like to know what they talked about? You would say, I'm going to just get up a little bit closer to them and you know, maybe I can hear what they're saying. But, you know, we don't have to do that because the Bible actually tells us what they're talking about. Verse 31, who appearing in glory were speaking. This is what they were talking about. They were speaking of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. What was his departure? What was he going to accomplish at Jerusalem? 
He's going to die on the cross, pay for sin, rise again, walk on the earth for 40 days, and what? Go back to heaven. Moses and Elijah are talking to Jesus about his death and resurrection and ascension. Can you imagine that? And here you are, these uh, Peter, James, and John, they're there. They're hearing all this. They're really, they're really scared to death. I mean, they don't know what to do because this cloud's going to come over them. And, and this, the Father's voice, he says, this is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. And so here's what we're seeing, uh, that these disciples have seen the kingdom before they tasted death, just as Jesus said. Now, I want to read something to you. Peter, who was there on this mountain, wrote two books. Is that right? We call them 1 Peter and 2 Peter. I want to read something to you from 2 Peter. This is what Peter wrote in 2 Peter. Here's what he said. He's writing to believers, and he says, For we did not follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and the coming of Jesus Christ. He said, when we told you about Jesus and his power and his coming and he's going to come as the king, he's going to rule the world, but we were eyewitnesses. When he received honor and glory from the Father and the utterances, we heard this from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. Peter says, I saw Jesus as the king on the holy mountain. When Jesus told those guys earlier, some of you are not going to die until you see the kingdom he actually showed them the kingdom. It is amazing. Now, how can these men see the kingdom before they die if they died 2,000 years ago and the kingdom has not yet come? Jesus took them on the mountain to give them a preview of the kingdom. So let's stop for a second. Any questions? Because we got the other one to look at before we go to Grow Group. Any, any questions? Can you see this? Uh, I've talked to some people before, and, and you know, you'll say, uh, I've had a person come to me one time and said, Jesus didn't keep his promises. I said, what are you talking about? He said, well, Jesus promised those guys they wouldn't die till the kingdom came, and they died, and the kingdom still hadn't come. And I said, well, just follow up. Keep following the verse. And because if you keep following the verses, you see Jesus take them on top of a mountain, show them the kingdom, show them him as the king with Moses and Elijah, and they're all there. And the father says, this is my son. I'm pleased in him. Listen to what he has to say. Wow. So the Peter then writes later and says, listen, when we talked about the power and the coming and the majesty of Jesus Christ as the king, we actually saw it already. All right, anything? Questions? All right, let's look at the second one, and this is Hebrews 2.9. So flip over in your Bibles to the book of Hebrews. This is a very simple one, but I've had people talk about it because some people will come up and say, how, how, can, how can that be? I mean, how can Jesus be lower than angels? Okay, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9. Here's what it says. But we, do, but we do see him, Jesus, who was made for a little while lower than angels, namely Jesus. We want to make sure we know who it is. We see him who is made for a little while lower than angels, namely Jesus, because of the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that by the grace of God, this is an amazing verse, he might taste death for everyone. When we see this, the question is raised. How, as God, could Jesus be lower than angels? What does it mean? How does it work? We know there's an order. There's God, angels, and people. We're talking about power and majesty here. We talk about angels. We're going to judge the angels? 
But when you talk about dealing with angels, what angel killed 185,000? They're pretty powerful beings. We don't want to mess with angels. And we got great angels. We, got, we may have an angel like a guardian angel. We know we got Michael. We got Gabriel. We got all of the good angels. We know there's bad angels and they're evil. And they're in this room right now. And the good angels are in this room right now too. There's a spirit war going on that we don't even see. And so when you look at it, there's God and angels and men. What does it mean that Jesus was made a little lower than uh, an angel? Well, think about this. For a little while, when he became a man, he was lower than the angels. When he became a human being, he was for a little while lower than the angels. Why? Because of suffering and death. Look at this verse. Look at verse 6. And the writer is writing in verse 6, and he's quoting, of course, the Psalms. He says, one has testified, say, what is man that you remember him, or the son of man that you're concerned about him? And then he goes and quotes something else. You've made him for a little while lower than the angels. You've crowned him with glory and honor, and you've appointed him over the works of your hands. You have put all things in subjection under his feet. You say, oh, okay, who is it? But in subjecting all things to him, he left nothing that is not subject to him, but we do not yet see all these things subject to him. So he really, he's moved away from talking about people lower than angels to now Jesus, whose all things are subjected to him, but we don't see it all. Let me ask you this question. Who's ruling the world right now? If you've been in my class on Wednesday nights, you know. Who's ruling the world? Satan's ruling this world. I want you to remind you of something, that when God created the heavens and the earth, and in six days created it all, created the man, and after he created the man, he put all things there, and he told this man, you will... You will uh, subdue all of this. Everything comes under you. I'm going to give you a wife, puts him to sleep, wakes up. He's married. He's ready to go. He says, you will be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. This is your earth. Guess who's the king of the earth? Who was it? Adam was the king of the earth. And then Satan came and tricked him and they fell and they got removed from the garden. And now who's the king of the earth? Who? Satan's king of the earth. And one of these days, Jesus Christ is coming as the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He's going to take this earth back over. And so when this passage says that we don't see everything subjected to him yet, we don't because this world's still in, in, the, in the grasp of the evil one. But one of these days, Jesus is coming. Just remember Revelation 19, 11, He's coming. And so he's made a human being, made a little lower than the angels, and then here it is. For the suffering of death, Jesus died for us. Now, that's why he came, and that's why he was made a little lower than the angels. And when you think about it, the eternal Son of God, who's always existed at a point in time in history, took on human flesh and became a person. Now, you talk about humbling. That's why Philippians 2 says, Let the mind that was in Christ Jesus be in you, who, even though he's God basically humbled himself to become a human being and then humbled himself to be obedient to death, even the death of the cross. So why did he do that? He humbled himself so he could die for us and pay for our sins. That's what it's all about. I want you to look at verse 9 before we break for just a second. Look at it again. But we do see him, that's Jesus, who was made for a little while lower than the angels, namely Jesus, because he became a human being. And human beings are under angels that way. Because why would God, Jesus, become lower than the angels? Why? Because of the suffering of death. So he could die for us, crowned with glory and honor. That's the resurrection. So that by the grace of God, he might do what? Taste death for who? 
Every person, when Jesus died on the cross, when he became lower than an angel, lower than the angels so he could become a human being and die for us, he did it so he could die for who? Every person. So there are people out that teach that Jesus only died for certain people. No, Jesus died for every person. He is the satisfactory payment, not for our sins only, but for the sins of the entire world. So let me give you a quick application. Let's, let's understand the transfiguration. Jesus actually showed certain of his disciples, Peter, James, and John, what he looks like as the king, as the king of kings and the Lord of lords in the kingdom. That's why he said to them, some of you will not taste death till you see the kingdom. And they didn't taste death because they saw the kingdom, and then they died. That's just what he said. The second thing is, let's understand the transfiguration, what happened there, and how he looked like he's going, looked look like the power and majesty of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And then the second thing is, let's understand the reason Jesus became a human being. Why would he lower himself to become under for a little while an angel? So that he could die for us. In fact, die for every person. Wow, that, that's it's beyond comprehension. You need to write that verse down. Because there are going to be some people who tell you that Jesus didn't die for everybody and just go, wait a minute, let's look at this Hebrews 2.9. You know, let's just look at that. Tasted death for every person.